Okay, hi Katerina. Hi Bernard, how are you doing? I'm very good, very good. So in this conversation, I'm joined by Katerina Axelsen, who is the founder of Tastry, a sensory AI company that currently does some really cool stuff in the wine industry, but we can hopefully explore how uh, you could use this technology beyond that as well. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Tastry. Absolutely. Well, we like to say we taught a computer how to taste and we have a multidisciplinary company. So the way that we do this is we acquire chemistry data on sensory products using our own unique methodology. And then we acquire consumer palette data in the market through providing personalized recommendations. So the magic really happens when we combine these two data sets and we associate the human palette with what we refer to as, as the flavor matrix. What we do with it, we, we're integrated vertically currently in the wine industry. So we do anything from provide personalized recommendations to consumers, to using AI to formulate new products, to understanding market trends throughout the supply chain. Um, so a lot of use cases. Uh, yeah, fascinating. Maybe we can explore the, the wine industry in a bit more detail then. So I guess, you, as you said, you, you work with the wine industry to help them formulate new wines. You help users find the wines that match their tastes. Maybe we can look at each of these in a bit more detail. So the end user side, you have developed an app, right? So and in the app, you collect my taste profile how does that work sure i think i would be great if i explained uh, how it worked by how i came about the invention it'd make a lot more sense so i'll have to tell you a little story if that's all right really quickly so i paid my way through college by working as a chemist in the wine industry i went to cal poly university so we have about 400 wineries in the 20 mile radius here and during my time working in the industry I noticed that there are a lot of idiosyncrasies with how products like wine are made and then marketed and that for such a large industry there's very much a lack of a data-driven approach to make decisions it's very intuitive still and that was a little surprising to me so one example i often use is we would make a large hundred thousand gallon batch of wine and sell it under two labels and two price points and it would go out with different marketing and then it would receive different scores from the same critics in the industry and this would happen time and time again so my hypothesis was that you could objectify this process by testing the chemistry. I thought the answer would be in the in the chemistry. So I went down a two year journey where I ended up talking to the head researchers, you know, IBM, Google Brain, major flavor and fragrance companies. And I was first trying to learn how how they're trying to solve this problem. And I learned that this is a problem that goes well beyond the wine industry and that the data 
um, that is used to to make products or to bring them to market, it's it's either siloed or it's incomplete or it's inaccurate. And the best thing people try to do is use focus groups, right? And even when you can afford it, which is quite difficult because I believe on average it costs about $500 a person, right? Even when they do focus groups, the success rate is still not great to to bring a product to market. The failure rate is still on average 85%. And when they try to understand how consumers will perceive the product before it goes to market, the chemistry methodology is designed to look at the presence or absence of specific compounds in a chemical soup and determine, does this compound express, say, for example, the flavor of cherry, right? And that was really interesting to me because the, there's a problem with that, which is there's a, hundreds of compounds in that mix and the presence or absence of one compound um, doesn't determine if you experience that flavor because it could be master expressed by the ratios of the hundreds of other compounds, right? So the second problem is that we all have unique biology and even if you have three people say that tastes like cherry, you can have three other expert people say it tastes like plum and there's no ground truth to that taste and and there's no way to predict that. And then the third problem is even if you could solve the first two problems, we have found that predicting what you can taste has zero um, or zero involvement with predicting whether or not you actually like the product. And at the end of the day, we felt, felt like that was the important problem to solve is not to identify what you taste, but to predict if you're going to like it or not. Let me know. Yeah, no, this is fascinating. And and for me, this whole idea of objectifying the this whole wine making process wine tasting process and you make a good point that every expert every individual has an individual taste experience but what you might be able to do in the future is to say okay this wine expert might like this wine because it really goes with his or her taste profiles and 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 you can then i guess predict the wines that i will like Right. So my hypothesis was that I could take this subjectivity out of it by designing an analytical chemistry methodology that would break down the flavor matrix, so to speak, the same way the human palate would. Mm -hmm. And that's our secret sauce is how do you look at all the chemistry in one snapshot as opposed to identifying the presence or absence of specific compounds? And how do you know that the ratios of those compounds are the same as you would be experiencing them on the palate? And I, I Learned that it's possible this wasn't attempted before because the computational um, load of that is so high. So when I developed this unique data set in my free time, I realized it would take me tens of thousands of years to process this data. So I ended up setting up a meeting with the head of the uh, master's program in data science and, and uh, mathematics at the university. And he said, I'll talk to you for 30 minutes. But after looking at the data, it became an all day meeting and he canceled his class and brought other PhDs.
refugees into the room and his name is Professor Dektiar. And what he did was we joined forces and he over the years developed unique in their own right form of algorithms specifically designed to make sense of the flavor matrix I was measuring. So it's the combination of our two inventions that allowed us to file for a patent and we were awarded that patent for all sensory based products. So that's why we say we taught a computer how to taste and, and the technology came before the business and we realized that in order to validate this, we need to go out and get real data in the market the way we need it. And we have this advantage where we have these two very high quality data sets that are unique that we only can generate in house. And there, but the challenge is, is we have, we can't buy it. We can't scrape it. We have to obtain it ourselves. So that was how we launched the first product, which was the personalized uh, wine recommendation engine. We just created, and I could go into this if you like, another layer of AI on top of our two data sets that would create analog type questions to determine your palate relative to the chemistry. So we have this, you know, similar looking whimsical type quiz that you, where you answer how you like black coffee or licorice or dark chocolate or things that have nothing to do with wine or you, or rather I should say, you don't have to have wine experience or have had tasted hundreds of wines or rated them to get a wine recommendation from us. So the quiz mitigates that cold start problem typical of most recommender systems today, right? So we get a starting point with you. So if you, when you answer these 10 questions, it takes about 20 seconds, we render recommendations for the top products in the store that you're shopping at for your personal palate. And, and we, we didn't know what we had, but we deployed with some chains across California and the way to see the results and the results were off the bat really successful so we proved that people on average score products 45 percent higher when getting this recommendation and there was a, a benefit to the retailer because they saw an increase in sales but but the important part is i'll get to the point is we noticed that as we continue to expand and deploy across the us now in europe that we were generating this heat map of consumer palettes. And this heat map is the foundation for everything else we do in the in the rest of the industry, because what it would show is we can plug in any SKU and we could see on a store local or regional level, predictively how a product would perform or what percentage of the population it would match to. Um, and that's, that's how we started to work with manufacturers. Is Very good. And this is also super interesting for retailers as well, or for manufacturers to share this with retailers, I guess. Right. There's a definitely a, a lack of a communication that occurs in, in the supply chain from the um, manufacturer to the retailer, to the distributor, to mm. the consumer. They're, the flow of information isn't um, what it should be. And, you know, and the, even if they had the right, inf I mean, they don't even have the right information to share, I would say, to identify what products should be on shelves, what customers are going to like it, what should we formulate and for what target market. It's all very intuitive right now. 
so how close are you to predicting and having the magic formula the magic taste matrix or chemical matrix of a wine that will guarantee it to be successful and i it's interesting that you talked about this earlier that sometimes wineries create two batches from the same product it would be very interesting you can then datafy this and and validate this and see how much is down to branding and how much down is actually how much is down to actual taste mhm yeah we found that taste is actually very important which was it's just a little counterintuitive but it, you can sell anything once right <laughs> but a huge determining factor for a product success is how many people buy it again and again and that's where taste really plays um a role so having a consumer have a good first experience is is critical so where was i going with this oh yes yeah. so the way the story unfolds is we started to take this heat map data however still not not like a verizon coverage map but we have data across the us and we started to share it back with the retailer particularly the category buyers and they started to use it to optimize their assortment so we've had many many use cases where we've shown stores that are have the same inventory one is doing well one isn't and we look at the dead assortment on the shelf that gets replaced and we've replaced it with a assortment that would better match the preference of those consumers and that store ended up go- doing well again and we know how well they would do because we're providing the recommendations and we know what percentage of people are buying into those recommendations and will have a good experience so we're in a sense reducing waste on the shelves because people are buying into our recommendations very good so have you got the magic magic formula the answer to a blockbuster wine <laughs> yes except we found it's more complex than that so we thought i one concern i had was when we started to use AI to formulate wine that people would think that we were just going to make the same wine for everyone and that's all anyone would ever drink but we found that it's we there's actually an opposite effect happening which is really cool so there are blockbuster wines already and right now everyone is trying to figure out how to replicate that blockbuster wine when we look at all the palettes we have in our database it hits the you know meat of the bell curve but there's so much so much where it's not optimized and when we help wineries formulate wine we actually can do better than that wine we've proven we can make a better than the number one selling wine for a specific market right so because palettes are so different there's a lot of opportunity to find the perfect market for your wine and target that market with your brand so we found that when you kind of like predictive visibility as a winemaker you have the confidence to try to do something more interesting and this uh, is absolutely and this is the same that happened to Netflix i guess once they had all the user data in the beginning yeah. people were scared that they will only create massive big blockbuster content and actually they created much more niche content that they were confident people will want right 
It, that's exactly right. So that's what we're seeing is hopefully a few years down the road, there will be very niche products and more interesting wines simply because there's a market for it. Mm. Fantastic. So are you, and I introduced you as a, this, this a sensor, sensory AI company. So you want to go beyond wine? What, what are your future plans? Sure. So we've already proven efficacy for a variety of products like fragrance, beer, spirits, any alcoholic beverage we have no problem with. But we've also done a lot of like aqueous solutions like coffee, other types of beverages. We've done hot sauce. Solid foods is further down the line because as you know there's a textural component but but we're pretty we're pretty busy with fragrance coffee and alcoholic beverages now yeah i recently had two interesting conversations that that have gone out on the same channel here one with heine zachariasen the the founder and ceo of vivino that uses um, ai to give consumers recommendations so What's the main difference between what you do and what they do? Yeah, there there are quite a few. So we don't sell wine. We're never going to sell wine. So we're not competitive from, from that perspective. We also do not, our algorithms were originally designed to work with newcomers in the category. So, um, so we don't need, our algorithms don't need for you to have tasted and rated a subset of wines before we can start providing the recommendations. When you answer the quiz about your preferences for things that have nothing to do with wine, we have a great starting point of wines that we know you're going to like whether or not you've already tried them. So that's really the big difference is we, we mitigate that cold start problem typical of most recommender systems. And we, our vision is really to have things be powered by Tastry. So we work with retailers and we provide this API, this intelligence so that they could integrate into the recommender and, and provide it to their existing customer base. So we, we just want to focus on providing hyper personalized or what we call singularized recommendations not just to sell wine mm. and yeah. then i was talking to the ceo and founder of a company called Ariball. they're a french startup that is creating to digitize this whole smelling experience so they are creating this digital nose and and flavor profiles and so I guess they've got a hardware component in there as well. How, mm -hmm. how do you, how do do you get the 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 chemical profile and the, the the taste matrix of your wines? Do the wineries give you their samples and you then process them in your own lab, or have they got an equivalent API? Have they got a, a little device where they simply put this in and then it gives gives you your data? Yeah, no, all of the products that we test and any engagement we have, it goes through our lab mm. using our equipment, which, you know, back long ago was some version of just a GCMS to look at aromatics. But now we have all sorts of methods to look at volatiles and non-volatiles and ion counts and all that. But at the moment, even for our size, we can test about a third of the U.S. wine market every year. 
with plans on expanding. So the, the bottleneck isn't in the chemistry, you could say. And the I would say the major difference between what we do and other companies who are focusing on taste and smell is Although we can do it, we are not interested in the quality control aspect of it. And we're not interested in identifying scents or flavors. Mm. We're very interested in predicting how much you're going to like something. There are a lot of companies out there that like every now and then you see like someone's using neural nets to formulate new recipes, for example. Mm. We can formulate new recipes, but we're, we see that as more of a partnership opportunity because we can tell you where you should be marketing those recipes and who's going to like them and are people actually going to like it. I, I don't know if you've ever seen AI generated recipes, but they're quite funny sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they can be <laughs> yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So what do you see as the future in sensory, sensory AI? If you look at the whole market as a whole, what do you expect to, to happen over the next few years? Well, I think hyper-personalization is, is becoming very important. There's just too many products and too many options for too many things now. And, and people are definitely experiencing the paradox of choice. And they have come to expect personalization and almost everything that they buy and i think things like fragrance and wine are no different i think it, it's a more complicated problem to solve um but it's a great problem to solve so i think people will expect personalization what we call singularization let me think about that they'll expect the personalization to be accurate and i think humans and very successful ai when it comes to things like product formulation. It's going to be something that's embedded into an existing workflow in the organization. And I don't think it's necessarily going to replace people, but I think it's going to enhance people's jobs. And I think it's going to make their job easier and more efficient. Yeah, this is, I, I had a conversation recently also published on, on my channel with the chief nose officer of uh, <laughs> Macmira Whiskey. So she's their master blender and they used AI to create a, a new whiskey blend. And, and their vision is that they will use more of this because it just makes complete sense because the, the AI can take lots of data on what people like and their preferences. They can look at the existing stocks and their blends and, and create a new form formula that that might be successful yeah that's that's really interesting i was actually surprised i would say that this technology was embraced by the wine industry i thought that we would have to invest a lot more in education and that it would take time for people to be open-minded about this i mean I know AI adoption is on the rise, but there's still a lot of work to be done and there's still, you know, skepticism and fear in some sense. But 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 I didn't get that. And I think it's because if you're an AI company and you could show a clear ROI and a clear use case that is going to make people's lives easier and better, it's only a matter of time until, you know, the business case becomes 
is important enough for you to consider technology like this. One example is what we call computational blending. I thought winemakers would be very skeptical, but as soon as we launched that first product, we had pe people coming to us and we, with so much business, we couldn't handle it. And I think it's because it worked. <laughs> so one example I can give is there was this large conglomerate that heard about us and they were skeptical, understandably, you know, we're making some pretty big claims. So I said, let's just run an efficacy test and I'll just prove it works to you. And then we can go from there instead of talking about it for six months, I'll just prove it to you. So the test was they sent us 125 unmarked samples of wine to our lab. So they were just numbered and we had no idea what we were testing. And our objective was to test the chemistry and to tell them how consumers in aggregate, like say a Vivino score is a great example, scored those wines out of five stars. So test the chemistry, tell me how thousands of people on average rated this wine. So we provided the prediction, they provided the result, and we had predicted every single one within a tenth of a point or with about 93% accuracy. And they were overwhelmed with that and try to buy the company. But then they said, okay, so if you can predict the future, this is really interesting, but what happens if I don't like what the future is telling me? How can I change the outcome before it happens? And that's when we did our first computational blend and we were only able to reformulate using our AI 25% of that formulation and so we, we changed the tank samples and the juice concentrations that were in that wine. And we ended up increasing the retail value of that wine by 207% while maintaining the cost. And so now time and time again, we've proven that we can make a better wine faster, cheaper. We can do it in about 48 hours as opposed to six to eight weeks. And we outperform the winemakers blends against their own blind tasting panels. But the winemakers still involved, right? Because we narrow it down out of the millions and millions of possible permutations or formulations you could have. We narrow it down to the best blends and then it's still up to the winemaker to choose which one stylistically they think would fit the brand. But it saves a lot of time and effort and money. So that's how we carried on with that use case. And we haven't received any pushback, which is very surprising. That's great. It sounds fantastic. So. Thank you so much for joining me and for sharing this fascinating journey that you've been on. So hopefully we'll, we'll do this again and come back to Tastry to explore some of the other verticals in the future. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Katarina.